Hey, welcome to New City Online. We're so glad you've chosen to worship with us today. And if it's your first time joining us here, we'd love to know you're tuning in. If you're ready to take that step to connect with New City Church, you can go to newcity.us connect. Fill the form out there and I'll be in touch with you this week. And if you've been around New City Online for a while, I wanna let you know about some changes that are coming up. The first is that we're reaching back over the next few weeks to play some worship songs from our past services. Many of these songs are also available on our YouTube channel On Demand, so be sure to check them out there. Also in the next few weeks, we'll be moving this service to what we're calling New City Live. This will be a live look into South Park, our broadcast location on Sunday mornings. I'm really excited about this shift as it will help each of us, no matter where we are, to be a part of New City Sundays together. Finally, I want to say a quick thank you to those of you who give so faithfully each week. We truly could not do the ministry that God has called us to as a church without your support. If you'd like to take that step toward giving to New City Church, you can do so at newcity.us give. And if you're a guest today, please feel no obligation to give. We want this service today to be our gift to you. Now let's continue to worship together.
Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness, yes. I'm still in your hands, this is my never not true, God. You're always there. You're present. Thank you so much, Father. Give us ears to hear your word today, God, and bless this time with you. Let this be holy for you, purely for you. Your glory and your glory alone, Lord, in Jesus' name. have a copy of the scriptures today, I want to encourage you to turn to the book of Daniel. The scriptures are already preloaded on our New City app if you want to open it up there. As we continue our study together, I want to review chapter one in four simple words, beginning with besieged. You'll remember that Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonian Empire comes and besieges uh, the city of Jerusalem. Uh, they take some of the, the folks captive, including Daniel, and then they take them back, the second word, and they indoctrinate them into the Babylonian way. They spend three years teaching them uh, the wisdom and the literature and all the ways of Babylon and trying to break their identity and integrity as a people. And then the third word, just to, to summarize the opening chapter of the book of Daniel, is resolved. You'll remember those opening words of verse 8, Daniel chapter 1, that sort of change everything. We talked about the fact that if the first uh, seven verses were the whole story of Daniel's life, it would be a sad story. But the story's not over with, and neither is yours. And sometimes we close the book on the story of our lives way too quickly. And Daniel resolves to follow God no matter what. He determines, even in the midst of difficult circumstances, being taken off from home, never to return again, being indoctrinated or, or uh, attempted to, to be indoctrinated into the, the Babylonian way and all the temptations that came along with that, he resolves in his heart to follow God no matter what. And that, that really sets the trajectory of the, the rest of the story. The, the story really pivots on verse 8, Daniel chapter 1, this, this resolving to follow God. I wonder about you and your life today. And then the fourth word that, that sort of summarizes the, the opening chapter of Daniel is the word results. And what I mean by that is, as we see Daniel and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, 
resolve to follow God no matter what, and, and resist the Babylonian ways, they receive the gifts of God. And when we reject the Babylonian way, because remember, Babylon isn't just a place on a map, it's a place in our hearts. It's the temptation of the enemy all around us to be our own God. And when we reject that way of thinking, when we reject that sinful philosophy, we're able to receive the blessings and the gifts of God. And we see that happen for Daniel and his friends, that they're able to to stand before Nebuchadnezzar. And the Bible says here at the end of chapter 1 in Daniel that they're what? That they're 10 times better than all of their peers. They stand out above everybody else, and we should too as Christ followers. So we ended the chapter by saying that when you bow before God, the one true God, you can stand before anyone. If you're going to make a stand in your life, you've got to bow before God first because we're not strong enough on our own. Even Daniel himself, he models that for us. He's able to stand before Nebuchadnezzar. He's able to resolve in his heart to follow God no matter what because he bowed his knee before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So that brings us to chapter 2. The scene, just let's just set it in our mind's eye together as we continue our study of Daniel in the second chapter. The scene uh, that, that we leave with in chapter 1 is Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel in the room for the first time together, standing face to face. Imagine that. These two young men that represent two very different kingdoms. And here's what happens next. This message today is entitled, Sleepless in Babylon. And we entitled it that way because as you read and you study chapter 2, and I I hope that you will on your own as we go through our study together this fall, be reading the book of Daniel and studying it on your own. And as we unpack chapter 2, it begins here in verse 1 with Nebuchadnezzar unable to sleep. The most powerful person in the world can't sleep. God is, is trying to get Nebuchadnezzar's attention, I believe, with this dream that keeps reoccurring. And so he's, he's sleepless in Babylon. Have you ever had a sleepless night? I have. Have you ever had a, what I call a, a ceiling fan moment where you sit there in the bed and you just look at the ceiling fan going round and round and round? Some of you right now might be experiencing ceiling fan nights where you're thinking about that person You're thinking about that problem. You're thinking about that relationship or that situation. And you're either living back here and and with some regrets and replaying something over and over and over again, and you're losing sleep over it. Or you're looking out here into the future and you're wondering, what if? What if this happens? What if that happens? What if this person does this? My world sometimes gets way too small. I don't know about you, but my world uh, gets way too small. And what I mean by that is that I think my problems or the crisis that I'm going through, or that's just everything. And, and, and my world probably gets as, as far as I can extend my hands. Does yours ever get that small? And when my world gets really small and I stop looking to God, I stop bowing before him, and I start taking all the concerns and worries on myself, I start feeling anxiety and, 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 and worry and disappointment and anger and confusion and all the things that come with it. I love what C.S. Lewis wrote about this idea of our worlds becoming too small and, and, and us not looking to God and, and seeking something outside of him and his kingdom, which is exactly what Nebuchadnezzar is living in front of us. Lewis writes, Human history 
Human history is the long and the terrible story of man trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. Boy, isn't that true? Let's just, let's just uh, cross out human and just put your name. <laughs> Chris's history is the long and terrible story of someone trying to find something other than God that will make him happy. And, and until I found my joy in God, it, it really was a sad story. And, and, and praise be to God, it's, it's, it's changed. I have a changed story. But I'm tempted every now and then, maybe you are too, to live in that old story where I'm trying to find happiness and pleasure and fulfillment and purpose in myself and something or someone other than God. And oftentimes when I'm in that place, I lose sleep. I'm sleepless. Nebuchadnezzar is sleepless in Babylon. As we open up Daniel chapter 2, we read this, verse 1. One night during the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had such disturbing dreams that he couldn't sleep. He was sleepless. You know, again, sometimes I think God comes to us at night because our resistances are down. We've, we've put our shield and our sword down from the day and we're all alone and it's still and we're quiet before God and God's able to speak to us. And, and I believe that God was disturbing Nebuchadnezzar. He, he was haunting him, if you will, with this dream, with this vision that he could not understand. And, and, and so here's the deal, guys. Remember Isaiah wrote about Babylon and specifically Nebuchadnezzar and his philosophy and the Babylonian philosophy that I am and there is none beside me, but he can't sleep. And he's disturbed about this dream. He can't understand it. And here's what he's coming to terms with that we all have to come to terms with that I'm not all-powerful, that I don't know everything, that I'm not in control. But when you're Nebuchadnezzar and you think you're in control of your world, when you're seeking pleasure and happiness outside of looking to God, when you're living in that long and terrible story, as C.S. Lewis said it, you're sleepless. And so what do you do if you're sleepless in Babylon, you're the most powerful person in the world, and you can't solve this dream, you can't solve this problem and this situation? Well, look at verses 2 through 13, Nebuchadnezzar's response to this crisis, if you will, this sleeplessness and this, this dream that is haunting him over and over again, one dream many times. What do you do if you're the most powerful person in the room or, or in, 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 in Nebuchadnezzar's case in the entire world, in the known world during that time? You blame other people. <laughs> and you don't have to be the most powerful person in the world to do that, right? That's a play that we all uh, take sometimes and run. If I don't understand something or I can't solve it, I'll just blame someone else or I'll get someone else to try to solve it for me. And so what does Nebuchadnezzar do? Look at verses 2 through 9 specifically. Nebuchadnezzar calls in all of his staff all of his, uh, the Chaldeans, the wise men, the enchanters, the astrologers, the, the people that were supposed to know the future and understand everything. And he says to his team, he says to his staff, all those people that work for him, you got to solve this problem for me. And if you don't, I blame you for not being able to solve it. But he's even more specific. He says, if you don't solve this, if you don't tell me what my dream is, I'm going to kill you. We see the ruthlessness of Nebuchadnezzar here. I referred to him earlier in chapter one as a madman, and he is. He, he is a man who is not looking to the one true God, 
who's living in his own little story and it's falling in on him. Have you ever been in that place? Maybe you're in that place now where your world has gotten so small that you think you're in charge. You think that you're powerful. You think that you're in control and maybe you're feeling the weight of all of that crashing in on you just like Nebuchadnezzar. And our go-to move for many of us in that place, instead of bowing before God and admitting that, boy, I've, I, I've, I've uh, taken on so much more than I should have that belongs to you, God. I gotta humble myself. I gotta turn. I gotta repent. Instead of doing that, what does Nebuchadnezzar do? What many of us have done, what I've done, well, I'm gonna get someone else. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it their problem. I'm gonna blame other people or blame other life circumstances. That's exactly what we see Nebuchadnezzar doing. And in, in this story specifically, just to say what he does, is he pulls all of these folks together, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of magicians and enchanters and all the wise men of Babylon in this expansive empire, all the people on his staff. And he says, I want you to tell me the dream. They say, no, no, you, this is how this works, king. And first of all, they give him all the, you know, the, 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 um, the, the flattery. Like, you're, you're the great king. Long live the king. You're awesome. You tell us, this is how this works. You, king, you tell us the dream, and then we'll go away and confer and figure it out, and then we'll come to, and tell you what it means. And the king is on to them. Nebuchadnezzar senses that something's off. I think something was stirring in him that maybe I'm, I'm not all there is. And maybe the kingdom and empire that I've set up, maybe, maybe we really don't have a corner on the truth and understanding. And so he says, you know what? Here's what I want you to do. I want you to tell me the dream. Because you're, you're a wise man, right? You understand. You can tell the future, right? That's your job. So you tell me what my dream is, and then the interpretation, and I'll know. I'll know that you're legit. Look at, look at verse, nine, verse 9. He says, but tell me the dream, and then I'll know that you can tell me what it means fair, right? I mean, that seems fair. If you know the future, you should know what I'm thinking. You should be able to tell me what my dream is, and then I'll know that this is all legit. And look at the response here. The astrologers, the wise men, they replied to the king, no one, <laughs> and this is truth, right? No one on earth can tell the king his dreams. No king, no person is able to do that. However great and powerful has ever asked such a thing of any magician, enchanter, or astrologer. In other words, no king's ever asked something this difficult. The king's demand is impossible. It can't be done. And they're speaking truth here. No person can do this. No person is God. They're speaking a lot more truth than they realize. No one except the gods can tell you your dream and they do not live among people. Now, just to say parenthetically, the one true God came to live among people. The story of the gospel, the story of Jesus is God uh, taking on flesh, putting on flesh, and becoming one of us to explain himself to us. Jesus is the ultimate revelation of God to us. Even Daniel's story, Daniel is a forerunner of Jesus, revealing to us, making known to us as people God's truth. And the astrologers and the wise men and the magicians, they don't realize it, but they're speaking truth here. They're, they're telling the king, nobody else can do this except God. And he doesn't live among us. At least they don't think that he does. Only God can do what you're asking of us. How do you think Nebuchadnezzar took this? 
and his state of self-focus, his small world, thinking that he's all-powerful, thinking that he's in control, being the Babylonian of, ba of Babylonians that I am and there is none beside, beside me. How do you think he received this news of someone saying to him, no, we're not doing that. It didn't go well, guys. Look at verses 12 and 13. Nebuchadnezzar is out of control. His response is to basically say, well, you know what? I, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fall through on my word here. I'm going to kill all of you. The king was furious when he heard this. And he ordered that, all, listen to this, all the wise men of Babylon be executed. And because of the king's dec decree, men were sent to find and kill, guess who? Daniel and his friends. It doesn't take long, just right here in chapter 2 into the story of Daniel, that he's already got a death sentence over his head. Daniel and his friends were, were included in the wise men. They were in the council of Nebuchadnezzar. And because the, the wise men go to Nebuchadnezzar and say, we can't do this, the king's anger is on full display, his wrath. And he says, well, then what use are you to me? I'm going to kill all of you, including Daniel and his friends. Now, I just want to say here really quickly that anger is almost always linked to control or the lack thereof. Think about that in your own life. We see here in Nebuchadnezzar a person who is totally out of control, and his anger is on display for all of us to see. It's burning red hot. All of you are dead. But what about you? What about me? Our anger is almost always linked to our control issues. I want you to think about that, and even beyond the message today. Think about how your anger, if you struggle with anger in your life consistently, what is it underneath that that you feel like you're out of control with, that you're desiring control, that you're realizing that you don't have control? Do any of you, here, here's another way to think about it. Do any of you have a, a, like a mini Nebuchadnezzar in your life? Don't say it out loud. Do any of you have a, a little mini Nebuchadnezzar in your life? Maybe somebody that you're in, a, in relationship with, somebody that, that, you, that you work with, somebody that, that lives in your neighborhood, just, just somebody that struggles with anger and control, and it's, and it's, it's just right on, under the surface of their skin all the time. Let me ask you another way. Have any of you struggled with this? You know, I think all of us in our, in our flesh left unto ourselves, we become a lot like Nebuchadnezzar. Our world becomes small. We think we're in control. We blame other people. We think that life just happens to us. We, 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 we hurt other people with our words and with our actions. We all have the capacity to be like Nebuchadnezzar because we're all broken people just like he is. And without Jesus, without looking to the one true God and bowing before him, we could behave the same way. Nebuchadnezzar's story and our story is about trying to find happiness and pleasure and fulfillment and value and purpose outside of a relationship with God. That goes all the way back to Genesis 3. We can be our own gods. And Nebuchadnezzar is living that sad story out right in front of us. So, so, so what does Daniel do? We see Nebuchadnezzar's response in the story. But as we look at chapter 2, we see Daniel's response unfold right in front of us. And we actually see, I believe, a way that we can respond to the world around us as Christ followers. 
that we can respond in crisis. I think you would agree with me that we live in a world that is in crisis. You know, you've heard me say before, you're either in a crisis, you're getting ready to go into a crisis, or you're coming out of a crisis. Jesus said it this way, in your world, you will have trouble. In this world, it's gonna be full of trouble, and we see that on full display right now. So how do we respond to that, just like Daniel did? This is a crisis right here. These first 13 verses frame up for us a crisis. And Daniel's life and the life of his friends, it's on the line right here. This is life or death. How will Daniel respond? Well, let's look at it together. Uh, verses 14 through 23, let me read it to you. When Arioch, who was the commander of the king's guard, came to kill him, now let's just, like, just sit there for like two seconds. I mean, that's a crazy verse. Uh, the story progresses here with Arioch, who's the king's executioner, the commander of his army. This, this guy is a trained killer, and, and Nebuchadnezzar would send him out to, to kill people. And he, gets, he knocks on Daniel's door. Daniel handled the situation, verse 14, with wisdom and discretion. Underline that in your Bible. He asked Arioch, verse 15, why has the king issued such a harsh degree, decree? So Arioch told him all that had happened. And Daniel went at once, verse 16, to see the king and requested more time to tell the king what the dream meant. Interesting. Then Daniel went home and told his friends, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, better known as Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, what happened. He urged them to ask the God of heaven to show them his mercy by telling them the secret so they would not be executed along with the other wise men of Babylon. Verse 19, that night the secret was revealed to Daniel in a vision. And then Daniel praised the God of heaven. And he said, praise the name of, the, of God forever and ever. This is his prayer. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of the world's events. What an amazing verse for us to underline in the world that we live in right now. He removes kings and he sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. He reveals deep and mysterious things and knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he was surrounded by light. And finally, verse 23, Daniel prays, I thank you and I praise you, God of my ancestors, for you have given me wisdom and strength. You have told me what we asked of you and revealed to us what the king demanded. Now, just by way of application, I would love to, as we hear Daniel's response here to this crisis, I'd, I'd love to just give you some application points to the message today as we juxtapose Nebuchadnezzar's response to the crisis the dream that he can't interpret and his sleeplessness and really what it was was eroding the Babylonian way and philosophy in his heart and mind. And then we see Daniel's response, the godly response. We see what God calls us to do in a world that is dark and full of trouble and crisis. And here's the first thing, verse 14. Daniel replies with wisdom, underline those in your Bible, verse 14, with wisdom and discretion. He's very careful and thoughtful about his words. And we need to be thoughtful and prayerful and wise about our words. Remember, Arioch is the executioner. He comes knocking on his door. Daniel could very well be talking to the person who's going to kill him. And so he asked God. We see it in his prayer because he says, thank you for giving me wisdom. Uh, he asked God for, for wisdom and he speaks with discretion and with wisdom in a crisis Use fewer words and words of wisdom and discretion. Make every word count. 
first thing. Here's the second thing. Slow down in a crisis. Look at verse 15. When Arioch tells him what's going on, he says, why has the king issued such a, a harsh law? Why, and why is this so urgent is another meaning of the word. Why is this so quick? Why did this happen so rashly? One of the best things that we can do in a crisis, whether it's in our family, in our workplace, in our city, in our world, one of the best things we can do is to slow time down. And what do I mean by that? Is to take a breath and, and, and speak reason and speak wisdom and help to slow down the process. Oftentimes we make our worst decisions when we make them quickly. And part of the wisdom and discretion that Daniel brings to this crisis and situation is he's able to slow things down. He asked the question, why, is th why are things going so quick? Why did the king, why do you think the king issued this decree so quickly? Here's the third thing. Meet in person and ask for clarity and again for time. Look at verse 16. Daniel requests to go before King Nebuchadnezzar and request for more, underline your Bible, more time. Now, just to highlight this, imagine the courage of Daniel here. He's got a death sentence over his head. He says, hey, could, could, could I meet with the king? Think about how the meeting went before for the other wise men. It didn't go well. And Daniel says, I want to go meet with Nebuchadnezzar. In a crisis, sit with someone face to face. You know, nonverbal communication is the most powerful form of communication. And so Daniel knows, I've got to get in front of the king. He needs to look me in the eye, and I need to look him in the eye. Verses 17 and 18, number four, just by way of application, how does Nebuchadnezzar respond? But now, more importantly for us, how does Daniel respond in this crisis? What's the application for us? Daniel shares with three friends who know how to pray. So share with friends who know how to pray. He goes to Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, his three friends from Judah, that he knows will seek the Lord in prayer with him, the one true God. And he says, guys, you gotta pray for me. You gotta pray for this situation. We need to call upon God and ask him to give us wisdom, to, to be God in this way that only he can. We gotta seek God, we gotta intercede, we gotta pray uh, on, on behalf of Nebuchadnezzar and these people, and we gotta ask God to give us specifically the revelation of this vision so that we won't be killed and all the wise men will be spared. Share with friends who know how to pray in a crisis. Now, I want you to juxtapose what Nebuchadnezzar does. Nebuchadnezzar calls everybody that he can into the room and broadcasts to them, I got this problem and if you don't tell me what it is and if you can't solve it, then you're gonna die. Nebuchadnezzar, to kind of use you know, our lingo, he posted on social media. For, he broadcast it for everyone to hear. Daniel tells three people. He doesn't tell everybody. He tells three people that count. That count for the kingdom. That he knows will go before the one true God in prayer, in intercession for him and for this situation. Who are those people in your life? In a crisis, who are the people that you could go to right now and say, I need you to pray for me? You don't need hundreds of them, guys. You need three. A handful of people that journey with you in life, that you can share your heart with, that you know will pray for you and, and pray to God on your behalf. And guess what? You can do that for them. We see Daniel all throughout the story praying for his friends as well. Who are those people for you that you can pray for? You know, we desperately desire as a church at New City to be a church where no one walks alone because God didn't design us to live alone. 
We were designed to live in community with one another. And not just connection, but like a real biblical community that we can study the scriptures together, that we can care and connect with each other, that we can serve each other, that we can pray for each other. Who are those people for you? If you don't have that type of community, we want you to have that. And go ahead and write down right now, September 26th, we've got GroupLink coming up here at the church. And we would love for you to join us at GroupLink and get connected in community because it's in community that you're gonna find those people that, that can pray for you and that you can pray for. Share with, with people who know how to pray. That's what Daniel does. That's what he models for us in a crisis. What about you? Here's the fifth thing. Be sleepless in prayer and not in worry. Look at verse 19. God comes to Daniel. He answers the prayer. He gives him the vision at night. So we know that Daniel is seeking the Lord at night. I want you to look at the juxtaposition between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel's responses here. Daniel is sleepless in prayer. Nebuchadnezzar is sleepless in worry. Daniel's sleepless in prayer. Nebuchadnezzar sleepless in worry. Hey, let's be sleepless in prayer, not in worry. Let, let, let's, let's respond just like Daniel did. He, he had some sleepless nights, no doubt, and so did Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. But there were, they were sleepless because they were seeking God. They were praying to God that he would show up as only he can. Be sleepless in prayer and not in worry. And here's the sixth and final thing, verses 20 through 23, this beautiful prayer that's recorded in the book of Daniel. And there's several all throughout as we study it together. But here's one of them. Daniel, 20, uh, Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. And, and, and I love what Beth Moore says. And by the way, Beth writes a great study on the book of Daniel that I've gone through and used in my preparation. I'd encourage you uh, to use that if you want to go further in your study. But she says about this prayer and in the context of this story and Daniel's response that uh, urgent prayer, and when God answers our urgent prayers, God, I need you to help me. By the way, you want to know what the, 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 the number one prayer that God loves to hear from his people? It's one word. Help, help. And maybe you need to pray that prayer today. That's the prayer that Daniel and his friends prayed. Help, and God answered. And when God answered, here's the final thing. That just like they're urgent to say, help us, God, they're, they're urgent to give God the praise and the glory. It wasn't about us. It was only about you, God. You answered the prayer. I'm gonna give you the glory. I'm gonna be careful to give you the praise when you show up, God. Look at verses 26 and 28. Daniel has the vision now. God's revealed it to him. He goes to Arioch, the same man that came to kill him, and says, I got it. I need to see the king again. Get me an appointment with him. He goes and he stands before Nebuchadnezzar. And, and let me read verses 26 through 28 to you. The king says to Daniel, also known as Belshazzar, his Babylonian name, is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Verse 27, chapter 2, Daniel replies, there is no wise man. He actually, he actually affirms what the other wise men were saying. There's no wise men. There's no enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. In other words, no man could do this. You say that you are and no man is beside you. No one's beside you, but that's not true. The Babylonian way is false. No man can be God. No man can sit on his throne. And listen to these words, verse 28. Underline them in your Bible. But there is a God. Nobody could do this, only God. You know, we talk about only God prayers around here. We want to pray only God prayers, things that only God can do 
in our lives, exceedingly and abundantly more than we could ever hope for or imagine. That's an only God prayer. And when he answers, we wanna give him the glory and say, only God could do this. That's what Daniel's doing. No, 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 it's not me, it's God. There's a God in heaven who answers prayers and makes mysteries known. Remember last week we talked about when we bow before God, we can stand before anyone. And, and, and here's how the rest of the story goes. Daniel begins to reveal the, the, the revelation and the vision. Go read it for yourself. And by the way, it's not, it's not the best news for Nebuchadnezzar, but he's faithful to reveal the story, the dream to Nebuchadnezzar. And here's the response. I want you to think about this as we close today. And we think about where we left off in chapter one, when we bow before God, we can stand before anyone. And look at what happens at the end of chapter two. Then King Nebuchadnezzar, after he heard the revelation, after he heard the interpretation of the dream from Daniel, then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshiped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before Daniel. And the king said to Daniel, truly your God is the greatest of gods, the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. Now, don't miss the scene as we close here. Nebuchadnezzar is bowing before Daniel at the end of chapter 2. And he's, and he's declaring, Daniel, your God is the king of kings and the Lord of lords. No truer words have ever been spoken. God showed up in, as only he, he could in an only God way. Remember when the prophet Jeremiah in chapter 29 wrote the letter to the exiles, including Daniel, and he said, I want you to seek the welfare of the city and pray to the Lord on its behalf, for in its welfare you will find your welfare. Jeremiah 29, verse 7. That's exactly what Daniel is doing. He's living that out in his story. What if we did the same? What if we prayed to the Lord on, the behalf, on behalf of our city, of our nation, of our world, people in your life, people in your office space, your family, your neighbors? What if in a crisis we didn't respond like Nebuchadnezzar with a small world that it blames people and gets angry, but we prayed? We walked through all those things we walked through together and we responded in a godly way. We were, we were sleepless in prayer instead of sleepless in worry. And, and what if we gave God the praise when God shows up in ways that only he can and only God weighs? What if we were faithful to say, it's not about me, it's about God. And we pointed people who were desperate in our world to know the one true God. We put him on display and we pointed people to, to King Jesus, the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Finally, what if, what if, guys, bottom line, what if we were sleepless in prayer, not worry? To Christ alone be the glory today. Would you pray with me? Let's pray together. Daniel prayed, praise the name of God forever and ever. For he has all wisdom and power. He controls the course of world events. Amen, today. We believe that, God. He removes kings and he sets up other kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the scholars. God reveals deep and mysterious things and he knows what lies hidden in darkness, though he is surrounded by light. We thank you and we praise you God of our ancestors, for you have given us wisdom and strength. You have made known to us 
the mysteries that have been hidden for the ages. They've been revealed in Christ. You've made known to us your heart, your truth, and your ways, just like you did to Daniel through Jesus. And so we pray today that you would give us wisdom, just like you gave Daniel, and you'd give us faith, just like you gave to Daniel and his friends, to live in Babylon, and not just live, but to thrive, to be your people planted in this city for such a time as this, to be your people, your kingdom agents, your sons and your daughters, to live out your truth in the world that desperately needs to see it. You are the one true God today. You are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so we give you praise and glory. And we pray this all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Your promise still stands. Great is your faithfulness. Faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never, your promise still stands. Still stands. Great is your faithfulness, faithfulness. I'm still in your hands. This is my confidence. You never failed me yet, and I never will forget that you. Thank you for worshiping with us today, New City family. If you would, no matter where you are, extend your hands for a benediction as we go. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Turn his countenance to you and give you peace. Have a great week, New City.